Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report. Okay, I see we have liftoff. Um, kind of bear with me here. We had a little technical issue. So we'll play what passes for music on the show. Here you go. And we're here with Janine Maloff, who... No, this- no, no, no. Wrong one. Wrong one. Oh, Janine Lee needs new glasses. I am so sorry, folks. been following so many stories recently that... Frankly, I I feel a bit out of sorts, so let's play the intro first. I love it. Okay, we are back to the show, folks. Sorry about the confusion here. We're just kind of getting set up here. There's been a lot going on in the world today, Um, really the past week. Uh, I know the advert, when you look at it, it's basically saying the big story today is methane, big methane dump resulting in a giant plume um, over Florida, and it was seen by satellites. Before we get into our big story, though, there's something actually in some ways far more critical on the immediate news, on the immediate set, um, that's happening some distance away in Ukraine. Now, by now, the world knows that Vladimir Putin, the dictator in Russia, has illegally invaded Ukraine, and his excuse get this. His excuse is to denazify Ukraine. Okay. Not only is it a lie that Putin and his, you know, his alleged diplomats are pushing, it's an incredibly stupid lie. The president of Ukraine, Mr. Zelensky, is Jewish. How in the world can a country being led by a Jewish president be Nazified? Can't be. And not only that, but think about it for a second, especially people in Florida. I know there's a lot of Jews in Florida, Um, not as many here in St. Louis, but the fact is this, not even the United States has ever had a Jewish president, but Ukraine does. Think about that. Again, the idea that that Putin's trying to denazify the country is just an outrageous lie and an incredibly stupid one at that, but what do you expect? From Putin. I mean, Vladimir Putin has been eyeing and going after Ukraine now for the past eight years. And people are scratching their heads and wondering why. Well, Ukraine has a lot of rich mineral resources. That's true. It's also the breadbasket of Europe. But as, as well as that, Ukraine basically is key to controlling warm water seaports in that part of the world. And that's something Russia's always wanted. You know, warm water seaports, they're good for trade, especially for a landlocked country like Russia. They can go to the opposite side. There's a lot of Vostok, which does have a warm water seaport, but 
it's also being watched over by Japan and other forces so that Russia doesn't get too many crazy, volatile ideas. And that's the other thing, too. Warm water seaports are more effective for navies to, you know, work in. All right. So this is what's going on. And I felt it was just too important to to just glaze off. And so what the, the environmental risk, besides what normally is an environmental risk during war, let's be honest here, you know, the military is one of the largest polluters on the planet. But we have an instance where the Russian forces invaded the area near Chernobyl, the site of probably one of the, the worst nuclear disasters in history. And there are some reports, they're not totally verified yet, but there are reports emerging that Russian forces have taken over Chernobyl and have taken over the building that was erected in 2016 to protect the remaining reactor. And this is something where we have the potential here with shells and other missile fire hitting the area around Chernobyl where it could create another nuclear disaster. You know, spent, spent nuclear fuel rods are not safe. And if they're energized, they can create what effectively is a dirty bomb. And a lot of people don't understand what a dirty bomb is. A dirty bomb is basically something that it, it contains nuclear uh, fuel, and if made to, if energized, it releases massive amounts of deadly radiation. So it's the, the radiation that it emits that is the, the bomb part. It's not like it's a dirty bomb will knock over a building. That's not how it works. It's referred to as a dirty bomb because it releases massive quantities of radioactive particulates. Sorry, folks. As I was saying before, a dirty bomb isn't a bomb that you think of in the traditional sense. It, it doesn't, you don't fire it and boom, like what happened in 9-11, buildings collapse. It doesn't work that way. A dirty bomb when activated, releases massive quantities of, 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 of radioactive um, energy, radioactive particulates, if you will, which, you know, the areas that have suffered under the effect of that type of radioactive particulates in their air and their water and food chain have suffered cancer rates that are far beyond what would normally be seen. And those closest to it don't even last long enough to even be diagnosed with cancer. So this is what we're dealing with, Russian forces. This was reported. I'm looking at, um, what is this? this? Well, several sources, actually. But um, I'm looking at businessinsider.com, and the headline is Russian troops seize Chernobyl's remnants after battle, risking containment efforts. Okay. Nuclear nuclear uh, fuel like that must be contained. If it isn't contained, the radioactive particulates will will just it will be released, effectively poisoning everybody in the area. That's what we're dealing with. And then I know I was on Facebook and uh, noted nuclear noted nuclear expert Robert Alvarez was reporting on this as well on Facebook. And another reader said, could Putin be using Chernobyl 
as could he be weaponizing it, you know, again, like a dirty bomb. And, you know, it's very distinctly possible. You know, Vladimir Putin is determined to hold on to power no matter what. You know, forget about the insane dictator in North Korea. Putin is far more dangerous because Putin's smarter and he is patient. He, this, they are playing a long-range chess game. Make no mistake about it. All right. In fact, I would say that the Department of Justice and our top um, intelligence specialists need to cart Donald Trump, his whole family, the top members of the Trump organization, their lawyers, top members in his administration, in for interrogations. What information did Donald Trump and his administration allow Vladimir Putin access to? Think about it for a minute. For decades, Russian oligarchs have been just gifting, allegedly gifting Donald Trump with hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, first of all, nothing happens in Russia, in Putin's Russia, even by oligarchs, unless Putin gives it a seal of approval. You know, there's a reason why various attorneys were looking into money laundering charges against Donald Trump and and the Trump organization, and they should continue to do so. But then the question is, more importantly, what type of intelligence was leaked, possibly leaked by the Trump administration to give Putin the edge, if you will? The legitimate questions. So I'm looking at this article from Business Insider, and, you know, again, the headline says it all. Russian troops seized Chernobyl's remnants after a battle, risking Western efforts to contain one of the world's most radioactive sites. And it was written by Brent D. Griffiths. And, you know, basically the bullet points, Russian troops attacked through this special protective zone around Chernobyl, which I believe is like 20 miles in all directions. And the reason it's a protective zone is, again, to keep anybody from weaponizing the spent fuel and the spent wet and the nuclear waste. Um, multiple nations have worked to contain the Chernobyl disaster that occurred in 1986. Some areas around Chernobyl are reported to have been so contaminated, so dangerous, that they won't be able to support life for a century. And this is what Russian troops have taken control of, allegedly, and this is what they've been firing on. And again, the major concern, one major concern, is that the containment dome that was built and put in place in 2016 um, might be compromised. Okay, it's a very real concern. So again, Russian troops have seized the remnants of the Chernobyl nuclear plant. And again, even this article here claims that it, quote, a move that signals the likelihood of their trying to assault Kiev and that risks decades of united efforts to contain one of the world's, one of the worst nuclear disasters, end quote. There was a tweet early Thursday by uh, BuzzFeed News' Christopher Miller, and he quoted Michaelo Podolak, who is an advisor to the head of the Chernobyl plant, and Mr. Podolak said, quote, after a fierce battle, Ukrainian control over the Chernobyl site was lost. The condition of the former Chernobyl nuclear power plant confinement and nuclear waste storage 
facilities is unknown. You know, you have to wonder, do you really think that Vladimir Putin is so so much of a sociopath or a psychopath or so crazy that he would also risk that that radioactive um, radiation coming into Russia? Sure he would. I believe it. <clears throat> okay. Now, according to the Associated, uh, the Associated Press, um, they had some reports from Ukrainian officials that didn't give their names, unnamed, and they said that Russian shelling had indeed hit a radioactive waste repository. That's terrifying. Uh, but the reports of the fighting and any possible damage to the radioactive waste repository at Chernobyl have not been independently confirmed yet. Ukrainian President Mr. Uh, Vladimir Zelensky warned the fighting was going on. He uh, tweeted, quote, Russian occupation forces are trying to seize the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. Uh, our defenders are giving their lives to the so that the tragedy of 1986 will not be repeated, end quote. And as I said before, there is an exclusion zone of some 20 miles in all directions that circles the, the site of the 1986 Chernobyl disaster. And again, some parts of that zone are, are unable to support human life probably for another 100 years. And the weather conditions at the time of the shelling could mean that some areas have more radiation than others. We don't know. Um, this Business Insider also got a, also uh, got a quote from a radiation expert at the University of California at San Francisco, somebody named Lydia Zablaska. Uh, Professor Zablaska grew up in Ukraine, and she told Business Insider. Um, before these attacks that occurred on Chernobyl within 24, the last 24 hours, she called Chernobyl, quote, the most contaminated place on earth, end quote. She went on to say, quote, no one should go into those areas. It's dangerous for a reason. A number of studies, both in humans and animals and from different branches of science, say it's dangerous, unadvisable, and no one should go into that area, end quote. Now, the Ukrainian military has beefed up deployments, you know, around the zone to protect it uh, because they were anticipating that Russia would try to uh, assault Ukraine through, you know, from Belarus. And, you know, basically Belarus is a close Russian ally. Troops, Russian troops have been training there, um, you know. This is, and it would be going to say that, um, quote, the area is still of, a str of strategic importance and that the broader war could, could unfold in the shadow of a nuclear disaster, end quote. Um, that's from Business Insider. The New York Times also said, reported earlier this year, quote, that the deployments have allowed the Ukrainians to map the highly radiated areas of the zone Radiation exposure is monitored via a decimeter attached to a soldier's uniform, end quote. Um, containing Chernobyl has been costly, both in times, 
both in terms of life but also actual economic costs. Um, in 2016, this uh, containment dome was erected over the number four nuclear reactor, which is the site of the, of the 86 explosion. It was a billion dollar project. Now, the dome is supposed to be the world's large, quote, the world's largest movable metal structure, was built to last a century, and be capable of withstanding corrosion and tornadoes, um, end quote. But the insider goes on to say, quote, it's not clear how much combat damage it could sustain, end quote. And that's the problem. The dome was built to sustain corrosion uh, from nature's elements, and tornadoes and last a century. Smart move. Unfortunately, we don't know if it can sustain um, damage from combat, from missiles. There's a small team that maintains the dome. And as of today, it's really unclear um, whether the team that maintains the dome is actually still there. Okay? They may have, uh, you know, they may have escaped. I don't know. So Chernobyl poses a huge danger, not only to Ukraine, but to really the world, but especially in Europe. It just does. And once again, um, you know, we have Vladimir Putin determined to take over Ukraine and as a result those morons bombed the remnants of Chernobyl and I do mean morons I don't think that Vladimir Putin really cares I think he's really pushing a scorched earth uh, strategy and again I apologize for the kind of sketchy nature of this but as I was getting ready for today's show, I saw this and I went, holy cow. Um, and I felt that I had to let the audience know what's going on with Chernobyl because this is a show dedicated to environmental justice. You know, And the fact is Russian oligarchs are huge fossil fuel producers, but the fact also is that both Russia and China have um, horrible environmental records just like the United States, maybe worse. But the fact is, think of the stupidity and the lunacy it takes to bomb the containment dome that, that is supposed to protect that part of the world from radiation from the worst nuclear disaster in history, namely Chernobyl. What does that tell you about Vladimir Putin? What does that tell you in common sense terms what Putin's willing to risk to not only take over Ukraine, I think, to take over Europe? Okay, I, I think that Putin is a Hitler wannabe. Seriously. And when he claims he wants to denazify Ukraine, that, that is just nonsense. Again, Ukraine led by a Jewish president and religious minorities feel comfortable there. Jews, Muslims, you name it, far more so than they do in, in Russia. Now, Russia, on the other hand, Russia has a history 
a very long and sordid history of massive anti-Semitism, both against Muslims and Jews. But once again, Vladimir Putin is borrowing from Hitler's page book and, you know, using the big line. Just that simple. And now those morons have shelled and fired missiles on Chernobyl. If that containment dome gives, God only knows what could happen. They are risking all of Europe in terms of a dirty bomb coming from Chernobyl again. And why? So that Putin can scare everybody. And the United States government needs to really pay attention because when Putin threatens, you know, threatens retaliation, yeah, he probably would use a nuke. Make no mistake about it. And then you have to wonder, too, besides the Trump um, connection, which, again, I, we have to ask the question of whether you are conservative or liberal makes a difference. We have to ask the question whether or not the Trump administration leaked in vital intelligence information to Putin, okay? And we have to ask the question in terms of how much just has to be asked. And then we also have to ask the other question, too. How far in bed is Putin with the Chinese dictator? You have to wonder. Not making accusations. I'm asking very pointed questions here. But in terms of environmental issues, yes, um, those Russian morons shelled Chernobyl. And, again, the only reason you would do that is to create a nuclear radiation mess. And I guess maybe they're hoping that that mess, will, the winds will contain, will send it drifting into Kiev, and so the population of Ukraine and their soldiers will become so weak they will be unable to fight. Maybe it's meant as a terrorist move. Because when you're talking about Vladimir Putin, yes, you're talking about a damn terrorist and a coward to boot. So that's what's happening there. Okay, now I'm going to go into the original, what was actually planned for today. So there's this giant plume of methane gas coming from Florida. And the methane dump is so big that it, it has been actually mapped, seen and mapped, from satellites in space. Let that sink in for a minute. The mainstream media that's covered this story is treating the event as an anomaly, a single occurrence, but that's not the truth. Methane dumps have been detected by environmentalists and scientists for many years. But the corporate media has dutifully ignored the situation until now because now the plume is so big you can't ignore it. The Florida methane plume is so enormous, okay, that it's beyond belief. I mean, think about how big this has to be to be detected from space. Well, so what's the mainstream media doing? They're reporting it as an environmental hiccup. Now, in the meanwhile, natural gas has been granted this mantle of a clean energy, which it doesn't deserve. It couldn't be farther from the truth. So this is part one of a two-part series we're going to do. Next week, I'm going to discuss the factors preventing methane reduction strategies from being implemented. 
And these factors include profit motives, but also the latest judicial power theft that's been orchestrated by conservatives on the Supreme Court. And that involves the um, major questions doctrine and the non-delegation doctrine. And that will be part two. So let's move on. So from NPR a few days ago, we have this headline, for, uh, a piece written by Dan Charles. The headline says, um, a satellite finds massive methane leaks from gas pipelines. So there's new evidence out here. It's been, not only have these satellites seen the plume in space, but they've actually been collecting data. And these orbiting satellites have been able to trace it back that, yes, oil and gas companies are routinely venting enormous amounts of methane into the atmosphere. Now, you got to wonder, okay, what's the problem with methane? Well, methane is the main ingredient in natural gas. It's basically the fuel in natural gas. And unfortunately, though, it's also a powerful greenhouse gas. Yes, it's second to carbon dioxide in terms of its global warming effect. That's true. But it has a heavier effect early on in the process. So one of the theories is if we could drastically reduce releasing methane into the atmosphere and reclaim it somehow, um, that we would cut global warming quite a bit just, just in a few years. It wouldn't be the cure, but it would be a good jump-off spot. If we don't, however, massive methane amounts in the first 20 years they're released, they actually warm things up at an exponential rate compared to CO2. And then once it dissipates, then the CO2 takes over from there. So that's why you've seen this giant increase in global warming beyond what scientists previously thought, because they didn't, they didn't really, they didn't realize how much methane was being pumped into the atmosphere, because they didn't have a way to measure it before. Um, according to Thomas Laveau, who is a researcher with the Laboratory of Climate and Environmental Sciences in France, he, he claimed there's been this persist, quote, persistent discrepancy between official estimates of methane emissions and field, uh, and field observations, excuse me. Um, to quote Thomas Laveau, quote, for years, every time we had data on methane emissions, we were flying over an area, we were driving around, we always found more emissions than we were supposed to see, end quote. So researchers decided, okay, we're going to look at satellites as a tool to actually collect data on this situation and, and get more clarity. The European Space Agency, according to this article, launched an instrument three years ago that they call, um, well, the, the acronym is TROPOMI, but it's Tropospheric Monitoring Instrument. And the TROPOMI can measure the methane in any 12 square mile block of the atmosphere, and they can do it on a daily basis. Laveau said that Trompomi detected the methane releases that official estimates, including estimates by the EPA and other groups, failed to actually see and didn't, didn't really foresee either. Um, to quote Laveau, I mean Laveau, excuse me, quote, no one expects that pipelines are sometimes wide open pouring gas into the atmosphere. Um, 
Yet they were. Over the course of two years, during 2019 and 2020, the researchers, uh, the researchers counted more than 1,800 large bursts of methane, often releasing And they went on to say, quote, the researchers consulted with gas companies trying to understand the source of these ultra-emitting events. Okay, so Professor Laveau and his scientific colleagues, they didn't just take the word of environmental advocates. They actually went to the fossil fuel companies. So somebody screams, oh, they're just tree huggers. Please, one, if you're still doing the tree hugger thing, you need to go to the wizard and get a brain for one. But secondly, this proves that they weren't just going to advocates. They went straight to the fossil fuel companies. Okay. And what they found is that some of the methane releases did result from accidents. Okay. But what they found, also, more often than not, is that the methane releases were deliberate and that gas companies were, they called, they were just venting gas. Sometimes they would call it a flare. And they're doing that from pipelines or other equipment before they do any maintenance or repairs on the pipeline. Now, I've heard linesmen talk about that before, you know, when there's a gas leak in the neighborhood or something. You know, you'll hear it, they'll say they flare it, they vent it. But, and the guys working the lines, they're just doing what they're told. But Professor Laveau has explained that these releases could be avoided. There's actually equipment that would allow the gas to be removed, that are siphoned off and captured and contained before repairs are put into place. And then it doesn't have to be automatically just carelessly released into the atmosphere. Okay? So you think, okay, why aren't they doing it? And according to Laveau, he said, quote, it can totally be done. It takes time for sure, resources and staff, but it's doable absolutely. So, you know, why isn't it being done? probably because fossil fuel companies just don't want to spend the pennies, okay, in this rush for nonstop profit in a, a marketplace that is virtually deregulated. It is the Wild West out there. And so these companies, they don't want to spend the money. Do they care that your kids may not only develop asthma but COPD? Before adulthood? No. It's all about paying the stockholders. To put it bluntly, it's all about the Benjamins. So according to the researchers, they found these really huge releases of methane uh, account for between 8 to 12% of global methane emissions from oil and gas infrastructure during that time. Now, again, they went to the fossil fuel companies. They also... Um, we also have the Environmental Defense Fund speaking out. So Stephen Hamburg is a chief scientist for the EDF, and he has focused on the issue of methane emissions. And he says that these, these enormous releases are really worrisome. Um, to quote him, he says, quote, it's also important to remember that the, remember the ordinary lease that make up the other 90% of emissions from oil and gas facilities, they really matter, end quote. 
So the Environmental Defense Fund, I love this. They are planning to launch their own methane-detecting satellite. Okay, and that's at www.methanesat.org. And that's going to be in about a year. And it's going to take, it, that satellite's going to be engineered so it can take much sharper pictures, which will detect smaller leaks as well. There's other groups that are developing their own methane detectors. All of this data collection is really going to transform the discussion. All right? You know, historically, the fossil fuel companies could claim, we're not sure how much methane is being dumped into the atmosphere. We don't have a way to measure it. Well, now we do. Okay. So that piece was from NPR, National Public Radio. Okay. There was another piece that from a conservative source, Bloomberg Green. Um, now, Bloomberg Green had a piece called Florida Methane Cloud Coincided with Energy Transfer Pipeline Work. But the way the article's written, it's acting like this, like I said before, that this is an anomaly that doesn't usually happen. And unfortunately, that's the type of propaganda we've been flooded with from corporate-owned newsrooms. And in case you want to know who Energy Transfer is, Energy Transfer is the company that uh, is responsible for the infamous Dakota Pipeline. All right. They are a public company now, and I think it would be very interesting to, to trace back the data and see whether or not the methane releases that Energy Transfer is responsible for, whether or not they increased dramatically when energy transfers went public as a company. Wish somebody would collect that data. I think it would be very interesting. All right, so now we're going to go back here. We have something from the Rainforest Site News. Um, again, massive methane cloud over Florida has scientists worried. And one of the questions is, has this massive release of methane over Florida, has it violated the U.S. Clean Air Act? And this is a very important question. Uh, and it's going to tie in with next week's part two as well because there were a couple of cases that were, that if they go, if they really pick up steam um, through the, the non-delegation doctrine and the major questions doctrine, they could strip um, implementation procedures from EPA when they try and implement federal laws like the Clean Air Act. So this is a very relevant question, you know, is this massive methane plume a violation of the Clean Air Act? I suspect it is. Um, now, the regulators, all right, this piece was written by Matthew Russell, by the way. They asked a company called Bluefield Technologies to analyze data from the European Space Agency's Sentinel-5P satellite. And what they found was that the methane cloud stretching from Gainesville, Florida, northeast to Jacksonville and Duval, that it, it, it stretched all that way, and that the cloud is estimated to contain 300 metric tons of methane gas. Now, to kind of give you some context, the writer of this, uh, Matthew Russell, compared it to how in 2018, that one methane plume over Florida right now would be, quote, roughly equivalent to 1% of the daily natural gas emissions 
for the entire country. Something to think about. But methane really is something we have to be worried about uh, just in terms of global warming. It absorbs heat, the heat of the sun, 84 times more, more readily than carbon dioxide. The Environmental Defense Fund um, has said methane pollution has to be addressed. To quote the EDF, quote, um, while methane doesn't linger as long in the atmosphere as carbon dioxide, it is initially far more devastating to the climate because of how effectively it absorbs heat. Because methane is so potent and, we have, and because we have solutions that reduce emissions, addressing methane is an effective way to slow the rate of warming now. And the environmental, end quote, and the environmental defense, um, the EDF goes on to say they, they attribute 25% of man-made global warming to methane emissions. That's a fourth. Now, Bloomberg, according to Bloomberg, they say the gas came from the Florida Gas Transmission Pipeline, which is a joint venture between Energy Transfer, LP, and Kinder Morgan Incorporated. And the pipeline vented the methane gas directly into the atmosphere, uh, says here, at, a, at the Bradley Country Compressor Facility, and that was done during an emergency shutdown. So the Environmental Protection Agency's Southeast Regional Office wrote the following, quote, our preliminary findings indicate that the release may have occurred from maintenance operations at a natural gas compressor station located in Brooker, Bradford County, Florida, end quote. Okay. In April, satellite data was used. There was a study published in the journal called Science Advances, and what the data showed from the satellites was, a, was that the oil and gas industry in the what's called the Permian region of Texas and New Mexico was additionally responsible for enormous methane leaks into the atmosphere. To quote from the study, quote, this magnitude of emissions is 3.7% of the gross gas extracted in the Permian, i.e. 60%, more than 50% higher than the national average leakage rate. End quote. And that's what the authors of that study wrote. So, you know, once again, there's some real cause for concern here. And not just in Florida. The EDF Environmental Defense Fund also uh, went on to, in another piece, to explain that, yeah, cutting methane emissions is the quickest way to slow the rate of global warming. Keep in mind, it's estimated that one fourth of of uh, global warming is attributed to methane. And what, they po what the EDF points out is even if we are successful in what they say decarbonizing our energy system, moving away from fossil fuels, you can't ignore methane. And they go on to explain that methane has more than 80 times, I think it was 84 times, the warming power of carbon dioxide during the first 20 years after it's released into the atmosphere. So yes, carbon dioxide has a longer lasting effect, but methane is like a trigger, in other words. It's, it's like a, a triggering catalyst that increases the warming rate at an exponential level. That's the problem. So picture, picture, a, um, picture a campfire, okay? 
you a nice campfire going, roasting marshmallows, whatever. And carbon dioxide is the fire. I'll just give you a little example here. And then some idiot throws alcohol onto the fire, making the fire anywhere from five to ten times worse. It doesn't last long, that, that uh, increase, but it jacks things up in, in the immediate term. That's pretty much what methane does. Like throwing alcohol on an already existing fire, methane jacks up the rate of warming far more than it normally would. We can't think of global warming in terms of we'll cut so much percentage and everything will be fine because everything interacts. The more that the global ice shelf melts, the more, the hotter the planet gets, which then creates more melting. It's this cycle and you can't ignore it, all right? The methane moment, according to the EDF, is now. And again, it was overlooked a long time because, again, they didn't have a way to collect data, but they do now. Okay. All right. So how can we fix the methane problem? There is a way to do it. It's actually simpler than dealing with CO2. So here's the thing. Um, in 2012, and again, this is from the EDF, Environmental Defense Fund. In 2012, the EDF started this research series. They were trying to identify and pinpoint leaks, as well as find solutions. And the research series is considered the largest body of peer-reviewed research on the issue. In fact, according to www.edf.org, Climate Methane Studies, when they did a synthesis of the research, they found that the U.S. oil and gas industry was, quote, emitting at least 13 million nutrient, excuse me, I'm about to sneeze, folks. <laughs> there we go. Sorry about that, folks. So, again, backtrack a little. In 2012, the Environmental Defense Fund kicked off a research series, and this research is considered the largest body of peer-reviewed research on the issue. When they did a synthesis of the research, they found that the U.S. oil and gas industry was, quote, emitting at least 13 million metric tons of methane a year, about 60% more than the Environmental Protection Agency estimated at the time. Okay. They go on to say, quote, the volume represents enough natural gas, or methane that is, to fuel 10 million homes, end quote. Let that sink in for a minute, folks. Now, that was back in 2012. Now we have even better data because of satellite information as well. Um, they not only have better data on finding the methane, tracing it back to source, but they have better data and information on how to prevent it. So that included ground-based measurement tools and the satellites as well. Uh, again, EDF, the Environmental Defense Fund, is going to be launching um, their own methane SAT subsidiary, in other words, their own methane um, satellite. And this is going to give them better data. So, in fact, the EDF said that the International Energy Agency has estimated that 
uh, worldwide, the fossil fuel industry could achieve a 75% reduction of methane using the technologies we have available today. And they also go on to say that two-thirds of that reduction could be at no net cost. So why aren't they doing it? Well, greed. So EDF is basically, they did give some credit to the Biden White House. Um, they, they've seen a little leadership anyway. Um, on June 30th, 2021, President Biden signed a bill which would re reinstate Obama-era rules that reduced methane pollution from the oil and gas industry. And that basically undid one of the many Trump administration's uh, climate rollbacks. Now, of course, it was challenged in court, in the Supreme Court. The conservatives of the court, of course, are for the fossil fuel industry. Now, I'm not making any direct accusations, but you do have to remember one thing, that Amy Coney Barrett's father has worked in the fossil fuel industry as an attorney his entire career. He now works as a lobbyist for the, for the fossil fuel industry. And while that's not Judge Barrett's actions, still her father. And that level of, um, it could be a conflict of interest, in which case Judge Barrett should recuse herself from any cases that involve this type of issue. Okay, there's no Chinese wall that's going to give her credibility. She should just be forced to recuse herself just like any other judge would be expected to do. So anyway, EDF is also has another pilot project with Google Earth Outreach, and it's going to help them map, well, and this information is from a piece uh, on the EDF website, edf.org, titled Methane a crucial opportunity in the climate fight, okay? Because, again, we have the technology to contain the methane and keep it from being released into the atmosphere. We have the technology right now to not only, not only contain it, but capture it and then use it as cheap fuel and then just keep reusing it. But once again, why isn't the fossil fuel industry doing this? Greed. Okay, greed and arrogance. The Environmental Defense Fund also has another piece, and this was this was an old one. It was published in 2014, and it said ICF methane cost curve report. And this is there was an analysis conducted by ICF International. And um, let me see if I can find this here. Let's go on. Okay, sorry about that, folks. Um, and it shows that, quote, cost-effective solutions exist for oil and gas industry to reduce methane emissions, end quote. Again, this is from 2014. ICF International found that the U.S. oil and gas industry could significantly reduce emissions of methane, uh, which is the primary ingredient in natural gas, but also a very dangerous uh, greenhouse gas, using currently available technologies and operating practices, end quote. 
and it would be cost-effective. Now, the Environmental Defense Fund commissioned sorry, this uh, group called ICF. ICF is, quote, a leading technical consulting firm with over 30 years of experience in the energy sector. And they were um, hired by the EDF to, quote, analyze the economics of methane emission reduction opportunities across the oil and gas industry from upstream production to downstream distribution, end quote. Now, the analysis that ICF conducted based on data as well as comments from various organizations, they also think that those organizations include oil and gas producers as well as pipeline operators, equipment vendors, service providers, and a trade association. And there's some key findings here. Those are the key findings of ICF's report, and I'm just going to read them directly to you. Number one, quote, total methane emissions from U.S. oil and gas are projected to increase 4.5% by 2018 as emissions from industry growth, particularly in oil production, outpace reductions from regulations already on the books. Two, industry could cut methane emissions by 40% below projected 2018 levels at an average annual cost of less than one cent on average per thousand cubic feet of produced natural gas by adopting available emission control technology and operating practices. This would require a capital investment of $2.2 billion, which oil and gas journal data shows to be less than 1% of annual industry capital expenditure. Okay. Three, economic value of recovered natural gas is taken into account. The 40% reduction is achievable while saving the U.S. economy and consumers over $100 million per year. Next, the most cost-effective methane reduction opportunities would create over $164 million net savings for operators. Almost 90% of projected 2018 emissions will come from oil production and existing natural gas infrastructure. And finally, a number of solutions, particularly in the upstream of the oil and gas value chain, will have environmental co-benefits at no extra cost by reducing emissions that can harm human health like volatile organic compounds and hazardous air pollutants. End quote. So once it's there, so you think, okay, why wouldn't the industry pursue this? They couldn't be that greedy, could they? Well, you know, we have a situation where we have predatory capitalism, put bluntly. And I, I really believe that these business people and the lawyers that work for them, they are so arrogant that they think they know more than all the scientists and all the medical people. So between the arrogance of the business and legal communities that support the business community, as well as just the intrinsic greed, they're not doing it because they don't want to, they don't want to spend a single penny. They want to squeeze as much profit as possible. They know they're going to hit peak oil pretty soon, and before they have to switch over, they want to get all, all the cookies, as Anna Kasparian from TYT would say. They want all the cookies there. 
They're just that greedy and foolish. That's my opinion. So this report shows that there are real solutions, okay? But it's not happening. Not happening at all. There's more going on here. Um, you know, the fact is that according to Vox, there's another piece here. This was from just this past November 2021, a piece written by Rebecca Labor at Vox. The headline is, it's time to freak out about methane emissions. This lesser known greenhouse gas will make or break a decisive decade for climate change, end quote. And they're really focusing, again, on the Permian Basin of Texas. And we know that the Intercept has a big series on that. Um, you know, once again, you know, there's no foolish act that Republicans in Texas won't back. All right, my opinion. But once again, um, they would rather live in ignorance, I suppose. But it is a ticking climate bomb, according to this writer. Um, and again, same information we talked about. And they add a little bit more that the methane pollution really does erase the gains from switching off coal. You know, once again, how are these people getting away with this? Because the American public is, for the most part, scientifically illiterate. And this is an instance where that good old American pride in being ignorant and the disdain for intellectualism is really hurting all of us. There's no other way to put it. So this is what we're dealing with this week. And I think that's going to be it for today. A lot of the other information is repetitive. The bottom line very simply is this. Methane is a dangerous greenhouse gas. Previously, we did not have a way to effectively collect data and measure it, but now we do with satellites. Um, the Environmental Defense Fund helped create one of the largest peer-reviewed studies in the history of the world on this subject. They, the scientists consulted not just with activists, they consulted with the fossil fuel industry, you know, with people that operate the pipelines, those that are, you know, that are uh, the geologists that work for the fossil fuel industry. This is real data. And methane's important because, again, picture the metaphor of a, fort, of a, a campfire. You got it going, it's nice and hot, and then some moron pours a whole big barrel, pure grain alcohol on it. And so now the fire is 10 times larger. That's what methane does, how it affects the environment, and that's what it does to CO2 levels after the first 20 years. That's the danger we have. And we have to do something about it. So next week, I'm going to be talking about the other factors that prevent these methane reduction strategies. Again, we can get the job done with existing technologies, and they're cost-effective. So why isn't the industry doing it? Well, the factors include 
predatory profit, but also the the seeding of conservative radicals, especially on the Supreme Court, that are working feverishly to dismantle all agency regulations. They're working feverishly to dismantle federal law. And they're doing it using two legal fictions that don't exist anywhere in the Constitution. One is the major questions doctrine, and the other is the non-delegation doctrine. And we're going to be talking about that in some depth next week on the Environmental Justice Report. So that's our show for today. Um, you know, this is, it's a hard week. You know, once again, I'm going to close with the idea that the Russian military has attacked the protective zone at Chernobyl. And we don't know if it's going to go critical again or what. Because it's the nuclear reactor that exploded before that is contained within that dome. Either a moron or an insane lunatic that has a large psychopathic streak would do this. But, you know, that's Vladimir Putin. And to those of you in the progressive community that are anti-war no matter what, I'm not pro-war. Never have been. I'm anti-war also. But the people of Ukraine, one, Ukraine is an ally. They have been brutally attacked. There is a nuclear disaster again in the making because of the Russian military, which must be stopped. And it's not going to be stopped by going up to Vladimir Putin and say, pretty please. It means military action. That's reality. This is not a utopia and... This is what we have to do. So I'll keep you posted, and that's this week's show. With that, I say good night, and God bless us.